What am I doing that's anxious attached behavior? Because that's your problem. We can't make them change. And going in with the same energy and the same urgency and the same intensity to get them to change is part of the problem. When that anxious partner can really start to do this work on themselves, they start being able to show up in a way that now starts to shift the relationship environment. Anxious behaviors reinforce avoidant behaviors. We have to stop those anxious behaviors. How do we stop that? Well, first, Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Julie Manano. She's a licensed therapist who teaches people how to have secure attachment in their relationships. And you guys know I love attachment styles because it really gives us a good understanding of where to go in our own relationships and to understand ourselves. She specializes in focus therapy, emotion-focused therapy. She is also the author of the book, Secure Love, that is coming out very, very soon. And she's got over 1 million followers on Instagram. She's doing amazing work. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really glad to be here. And the book actually was released uh, Monday. I mean, I'm sorry, that's Tuesday. So, so, that's so exciting. Yeah, so it's out there. It's going and very exciting. That's so exciting. That's awesome. I, I love attachment style. And I really love the fact that you focus on secure attachment because I feel like that's what I strive to be and what I always t teach my, my clients to strive to be. If you had to describe your mission, what would that be? I would say my mission is to teach people how to be emotionally supportive to each other. If I, you know, there, there are some layers to that. There are a lot of ways to get there, but that would be ultimately where my focus is. And the reason is that most people just really either don't know how to be emotionally supportive or have a lot more to learn about how to go to deeper levels of emotional support. Um, I think if we think of it as nutrition, you know, kind of parallel to phys uh, food and, and physical nutrition and self-care, um, it's equally important. And, um, you know, we're all looking for better ways to be physically healthy and there's always new levels of growth with that. And so I think it's, it's very much the same thing with emotional, but I don't, I think people have a kind of a vague concept of that, but not super uh, specific or practical or a tangible I, idea of what that actually looks like. And there are some really specific skills that people are really needing to take this idea of emotional support from a vague concept to something very actionable and valuable. And, you know, that can help, help us feel a lot more successful in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you really nailed it. People don't know how to do it. And there's a reason why I prefer not to work with couples. It's nothing against couples therapy. I, my hat goes off to anybody who can do it. It's, it's really, really difficult. And me being somebody who has been married and has been divorced and has gone through um, toxic relationships it was really difficult for me to understand how to actually apply. Like I want to be healthy, but how do I actually do it? I'm curious with you, what do you think is, if you had to say like the, the top one or two issues that you see in couples, what would that be? 
Uh, well, the first issue, the broadest issue would be getting into negative communication cycles. Like if there's any problem in the relationship, if there's any, you know, big decision need, that needs to be made that both partners kind of see it differently. Um, if, if one partner is wanting more closeness or connection, if one partner is wanting more sex or we're trying to figure out, you know, what to do with our money or where to live. I mean, it, what happens is, is people with insecure attachment, they just don't know how to communicate with emotional safety for, you know, neither partner does. And so what happens is, is we've got this top layer of the problem, which is the surface, which could be a very real problem. I mean, we, we all know, need to make a budget together and, and financial concerns are real and where we send our kids to school is real. But what happens is, is the way they start communicating, they're, you know, accusing and blaming and not listening and being defensive and not understanding and not empathizing and not validating. And instead they're doing the opposite in there. So they're eroding this connection in this moment. They're eroding safety. And when we start eroding safety and emotional support, when we start feeling like, hey, I'm not really being heard here. My perspective doesn't really matter to them. Then, you know, tempers flare or walls go up and the next thing you know, not only have we done damage to the emotional closeness and safety of the relationship that both partners have, whether they're aware of it or not, now we can't even resolve the actual issue because we're too busy fighting about the relationship. And so then you can see how just chronically repeating that over the years and over, you know, the months or weeks can really start to take a toll. And, you know, some couples can manage to survive and, and still be kind of okay and float along, uh, but not maybe ideal. Um, and then some couples, it's just going to really destroy them. Yeah. Safety, I think is a big one for a lot of people. Huge. And it's absolutely. like, if you look at the, yeah, the root problem of why are your defenses going up? Why are you anxious? And a lot of times we're scanning, we're always scanning for safety. And it's like, if we're coming into this relationship and we're scanning for safety and you are a possible threat, you may not be safe, you know, automatically my defenses are going to go up. So when we talk about attachment styles, if, if we were to break this down for, you know, a middle school or a high school, someone, someone who's never heard of it, if we were to break it down into in, that context, what are attachment styles? Why do they matter? Why should we care about them? Well, we should care because they show up in communication. They show up in the way we navigate our relationships and they will abs. If you have an insecure attachment, it will absolutely get in your way. And so we really need to understand it's, it's attachment is just a way that we, a common language that we're putting to describe problems that are very real, you know, that everybody's having. So I love the attachment language because it, it very descriptively explains in much more nuance than any other, you know, way science has come up to explain relationships. So if we have an anxious attachment, you know, they're going to have, first of all, they're going to go into relationships with concerns that their needs aren't going to be met because they have experienced their needs not being met over and over again, mostly in childhood for most people, sometimes, you know, adult relationships will impact that. Um, but for whatever reason, they have real experiences of not getting their needs met. So they go in already kind of expecting that that sort of starts to play out. You know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They show up hot, they show up hard. They want to get in there. They want to change the person. They want to, you know, sort of create kind of create this safety that they're needing and maybe not even recognize that the safety that's already there. And so they're going in with this kind of push, reach, grab, get, you know, 
And then we have, they're in a part, usually in a relationship with a partner who has an avoidant attachment because those two are really strongly drawn together for reasons I won't go into just yet. But so we have now this avoidant who doesn't know how to show up emotionally because they have learned to shove their emotions away. That's how they survived environments in their past where they weren't getting their emotional needs met. They learned to survive, just stuff it away. Right. And so now not only can in real time, they not give their partner what they're needing emotionally, but then their partner is coming at them with heat that causes them to shut down more And as they shut down more, the anxious partner gets more anxious and frantic and tries harder. And so they just get locked into this cycle of push and pull. Nobody's starting it typically. It's just kind of both of them coming together with their own insecure attachment. Then they build that insecure attached environment in the relationship themselves. So it's kind of like we've got the past coming in and now we have this present that we've created together. Um, Now we have a disorganized attachment, which now we're going to take that anxious, those anxious traits and those avoidant traits, and we're going to put them into a blender and we're going to add trauma a lot of the time. And we're going to add more intense emotional experiences, less predictable emotional experiences, less predictable behaviors and more intense behaviors. Now we throw that under the blender And then what comes out is a reaction to a relationship stress that is really could be kind of all over the place. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? The awareness is incredibly important. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the number is this, the official number is around 10% of those with insecure attachment. I personally think that number is probably a lot higher. Okay. So when we back up, let's talk about the push pull because this one really intrigues me. I want to go back to the disorganized because that's me, but a lot of my clients have the, the anxious avoidant pull. And when they're trying to understand it, you know, I have like my, my anxious clients that are like, okay, but you know, I'm trying to understand my partner. I'm, I'm trying to show that I care. I'm trying to get validation. And this person just keeps pulling away. I don't know how to change this partner. So if you have somebody, let's say I'm the anxious person, I have my partner who's avoidant, how can I be flexible enough to meet my partner's needs, but also get my own needs met? Where is the balance with this? Because I feel like this is this is the conundrum. This is the big question mark. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I do go into this quite a bit in the book, and there, there are a lot of layers to this question. But um, if you do have an anxious attachment, you know, your work really first, before you even start trying to change your partner, your work is on yourself. It's, it's tapping in, figuring out, all right, I've got this anxious attachment, right? That's a vague term. How is the anxious attachment showing up in my relationship? What am I doing? That's anxious attached behavior, because that's your problem, right? That's the problem that's getting, you know, yes, your partner has issues too, right? We want to work on that but we can't make them change. And going in with the same energy and the same urgency and the same intensity to get them to change is part of the problem, right? So we have to stop all that. We have to stop those anxious behaviors. How do we stop that? Well, first we have to understand what's driving them. We have to really dip in, understand, you know, 
yourself, understand your fears, understand why you're, you're pulled, why you have these urges to behave in this way when you start to feel alone or scared or, you know, all these deeper things that are going on inside of you underneath these behaviors. Um, and we got to start shifting that. We, we got to start learning new ways to deal with those feelings that aren't quote unquote anxious attached behaviors, right? And sometimes we just have to learn the behaviors first and stop doing those before we really can dive in, before we, while we're learning how to recognize what's really going on. In the book, I talk about, you know, the anatomy of a trigger, right? So we have this triggered moment where just talking, sticking with anxious partners um, and avoidance aren't off the hook by any stretch, but we're talking about anxious partners. Um, We have this moment of a trigger, right? The moment of a trigger is you see a look on your partner's face that you interpret as a threat. Maybe they're just thinking, maybe it's not a threat at all, but maybe they're thinking hard and you've, and you grew up in a home where thinking faces were mad faces, something bad is going to happen. And so your nervous system immediately starts going into action, making meanings out of that. Your body has a reaction. You have this kind of these negative insecure views of self that now mix into that. Then you start to have these big feelings and these senses of, you know, anger or urgency or anxiety, right? And then all of that sort of comes together in this very short amount of time, you know, anywhere from one three hundredth of a second to three seconds um, where that is going to contribute to a behavior. So we need to be working on all of these levels, behavior, understanding, really being able to pick apart what's happening inside of you because all of those layers are opportunities to work. We can work on the way we are insecure views of ourselves that are contributing here. That might be lies that we picked up over a lifetime. We can work on the somatic piece, learning to kind of just step in and take some breaths and regulate your body before you react. We can learn to work on um, the, you know, finding those more vulnerable emotions, grieving. There's, there's so much unexpressed grief, unprocessed grief underlying these triggers that we really need to start getting to talking about getting comfort for comforting ourselves and letting those feelings come up because they're all on the table already. And when that anxious partner can really start to do this work on themselves, they start being able to show up in a way that now starts to shift the relationship environment. Right. And so anxious behaviors reinforce avoidant behaviors. We can't change what the avoidant brought to the table originally, but we can stop reinforcing it. And when we start, stop reinforcing it, we are creating more safety. The avoidant needs safety too. We're creating more safety. When people feel safe, they start wanting to be their best selves. They start self-reflecting. You can't make that happen, but you can do what you can do to increase the odds that now the avoidant partner is kind of going to come on and start you know, feeling safer, start reaching more, start kind of recognizing their own needs for connection. When the anxious partner is over there frantically, frantically trying to get it, the avoidant partner isn't able to have even space to recognize their own needs for connection. Now, the avoidant partner has all this work to do too. And again, I go into the book there and, you know, for those people who have avoidant attachments and they're willing to come in and do this work, they need to start doing exactly what I said, which is start shifting you know, their behaviors that are avoidant, that are reinforcing their partner's anxiety and do the same work. 
And, you know, the reality is, is that part of the avoidant defense mechanism is to push away wanting to work on self because there is an association there with shame, with weakness, with failure, with, you know, all sorts of, um, I'm going to make it worse, you know, and, and there's all these really legitimate fears there, just like the anxious partner has legitimate fears. And so, you know, we really need to, um, recognize that there are, there are understandable blocks for why they're not going into relationship help. It is a real truth, right? It is very difficult. However, they are more likely to do that once they get into a safe environment. And in my experience working with a lot of people is that the anxious, you know, the avoidant block is getting into the therapy, right? They're the ones that are going to be less likely to sign up for help. But the anxious block is once the, once they're signed up for help, but they're really not recognizing all these things that they're doing to maintain this, you know, kind of toxic dynamic. And so what I have found is that avoidant partners actually move more quickly in therapy with a skilled therapist um, once they're in the door. I think it's absolutely possible. I think that if you really take a look at relationships, um, most couples are either securely attached or an anxious avoidant partnership. It, it It's an energetic balance. Um, there are a number, and I have some posts about this on Instagram and I talk about it in the book. There are a number of really good reasons why anxious and avoidant come together. And if they don't come together initially, if they have insecure tendencies, they tend to create that. Anyway, because one is pulling for the closeness, the other one is pulling to keep the heat down and keep things from getting worse. They're both trying to protect the relationship in their own way. Two anxious partners is too much energy. It's just too much. Like it, it is, it, it, it'll, there's a good chance it will fall apart. To, to avoidance, there's a good chance that there's just not going to be enough of one, per, you know, enough energy pulling them together that they kind of fizzle out. With that said, there are definitely people who kind of fall into that anxious, anxious, or anxious, disorganized kind of dynamic. They're the ones that are doing a lot of fighting, you know, a lot of intensity. And then we ha- we do have people who get stuck in avoidant, avoidant dynamics. But the vast majority of couples are either going to find their balance with secure attachment or gonna, they're going to find their balance with anxious, avoidant. I think every one of us can look at, you know, grandparents or elderly aunts and uncles, and we can probably look and go, oh, for the last 75 years, they've had an anxious avoidant attachment. You know, grandpa sits there and doesn't say anything and talks about the weather. And grandma's over there frantically giving grandpa his soup. And, you know, so these couples can actually be okay, you know, okay, right? It's not it's not ideal. Again, let's go back to physical health. We can have okay physical health, or we can work on it and have really great physical health, or we can have really awful physical health. Um, having okay physical health, having okay anxious avoidant dynamics, it's not a death sentence. It's just there's better. There's better, you know. It's so interesting because, you know, when I look back at my history and my relationships, I I was with a very anxious person and I found, and I'm more disorganized and I found myself being more of the dismissive avoidant 
you know, like, oh, this is way too much. I can do this stuff on my own. I do not need this. It, it is just overwhelming. But when I was within an avoidant, which was a lot of the times, I found myself digging more into my heels with the anxious side because that that threat of my safety was there, right? So I, I felt like I was pushing in more. Um, as I've gotten older, I think I think I've become more secure, but I've been single a very long time. So if somebody wants to strive to be more secure, what does that look like? How do we strive to be a more secure attachment if our entire lives were only used to reacting a certain way? How do we start to change that? Did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a coach and a professional tarot reader? Now, it's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a way to connect with your guides on life issues such as career and love and spirituality. And sometimes people need one-on-one -on -one coaching to help them through breakups, toxic relationships, healing the mother wound, their spiritual path, or navigating tools as an empath. So I do all of these things to help my clients pursue life and decisions and understand themselves. So if you are interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or a tarot reading, click the link below to get started. Okay, back to the podcast. Well, okay, so the, the simple answer is this. Um, learning to comfort ourselves in our triggered places, learning the layers of what is in us and, and knowing how, you know, this starts because we don't get comfort, the kind of emotional comfort we need in our deepest, darkest places. We're left alone with it. Right. When you're left alone with emotional discomfort and you don't know what else to do, you're either going to go into this high energy, try to change your environment. So if your environment changes, I don't have to feel bad or you're going to just disavow, cut off those feelings altogether. And so one is learning how to get what you never got, which was how to dive in and comfort yourself. Nobody ever modeled it to you. Nobody ever gave it to you. And I'm speaking very, I'm speaking in extreme terms here. Some people got some of it and, you know, but they still have some growth to do. But, um, and on top of that, learn how to give it to others and how to receive it from others. Those are the three. Self-comfort, self-regulation, self-connection, learning how to take that in from other people, good enough others who are there to support you and learning how to give it. That is where you're going to find secure attachment. Now, when I say those three things, you can imagine all the blocks between two people, right? They have their own difficulties with their own emotions and they have difficulties giving it and they have difficulties receiving it. So my job as a therapist and what I'm really trying to put out there in this book to help people who you know, don't have access to therapy or, or quality therapy is working on all three of those layers, working on them all. You know, some sessions are devoted to how you're dealing with yourself, this intrapsychic work. Some sessions are devoted to, you know, how come you're having a hard time taking in what your the comfort your partner is giving to you. And some sessions are dedicated to what's the block here of you supporting your partner? Why do you want to go into fix it mode when you sense their distress? You know, why do you want to go into just kind of shut it out, try to tell them they're being irrational? And I'm just working through the blocks to those three things. And absolutely everybody can get there. I really do believe that. I mean, I think that there are some people that have such extreme difficulty with self-regulation. Their work is going to be harder and they might need to go get some somatic therapy or some kind of therapy that will help them 
stay regulated enough to do the work. But I really do believe that with the right help, anybody is capable of those three things because we're wired to do those to begin with. It's just about removing the blocks. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, I think as somebody who relates with the anxious, it was really, really difficult for me to regulate my emotions. That was the hardest part of it because the emotions would feel so overwhelming. And when my partner would start to pull away, that just reinforced my emotions, you know, becoming stronger and stronger that this person is going to abandon me. This person doesn't want me. The validation that I was seeking in the moment, I wasn't getting. And these same fights would just happen over and over again. So for couples that are listening right now, who maybe have the same fight over and over again, or are arguing about the same things, how can we start to overcome some of those conflicts and change some of the patterns that we're used to? You need two things. You need one, the skills, the, the, the skills, the words, you know, the tools, and you need the self-regulation and the capacity to implement the tools. So you have to work on both of those. You have to work on learning to show up in new ways. A lot of people just don't know what those new ways are, right? And that's a big piece of this problem is we just, we're not getting good guidance on what those new ways are. But even if they do have the new ways, and even if they have it on paper and they have it memorized and they can, you know, sit there in non-triggered moments and be their best selves, they get so triggered that they don't have the self-regulation to put those new skills into place. And so we really have to work on both of those. Um, and there are different ways to work on those. I mean, one of the ways to help with self-regulation is to help the couple or to co-regulate, which is to help each other when they're triggered, you know, instead of going down these paths of pushing each other away and making things worse, how can I help my couples come together to co-regulate? And when they can get each other co-regulated, then they're able to put these self, you know, these skills into practice, how to talk, how to, you know, just all these things we can do differently um, when we're communicating with each other. Uh, but, you know, nobody can really co-regulate until they can self-regulate. So, you know, we have to work on that piece too. And that's why I think, you know, if you really bring in this somatic therapy work, that's really big right now into attachment work. It's just a great combination because through the somatic, you're learning better self-regulation techniques that can help you show up in a more attachment friendly way. And then again, as you build up the strength of the relationship, as the relationship starts to get healthier, that in and of itself starts to become regulating because you just feel safer. So it, it creates a situation where you don't have to kind of self-regulate so hard because you're not getting as triggered because you just feel safer. So again, I'm just working on all these layers. You know, there's so many layers. That's why it's work is so hard. It's not one thing. It's, you know, um, a few things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I keep hearing like common denominators, safety, communication. And again, I'm just going to take it back to myself. You know, when I think back at my relationships, I really just wanted communication and validation and to understand that I'm safe. I think for me, as long as I knew that I was safe and that I was being validated in the moment, there was nothing that was going to trigger me. And there's a quote from the book Attached that I really like, you're only as needy as your unmet needs. And I really stuck with that, you know, to know that I think that if I'm with a secure partner, that's giving me some of that validation or with a partner who has open communication, I wasn't getting as triggered and vice versa. Um, 
I even I'm going to ask you a spicy question because I love talking about sex, but I even noticed it in my sex life that I felt I, I was attributing sex with intimacy and which a lot of you know women do, especially in relationships. And I felt like I wasn't getting my needs met in sex. And therefore, I wasn't getting my intimacy need, needs met. And I felt unwanted, but I had a hard time communicating that to my partner or even just helping my partner to understand. How does insecure attachment styles affect people's sex life? Well, in different ways, you know, depending on the couple, um, it, it is going to create, most likely it's going to create problems because really, you know, physical sex, physical connection has this physical layer on top of it, but underneath it's all also very emotionally connect. I mean, underneath it, it's, it's emotional connection. It's, I feel wanted, I feel safe. I feel attended to, I feel appreciated. I, you know, all these emotional needs are being met. Um, so, you know, I see it, I see it show up in different ways. You know, it really depends on who's the higher needs partner in the relationship. Um, sometimes the roles can shift where the anxious partner becomes more sexually avoidant and the avoidant partner becomes more sexually anxious. Uh, because again, to, to your point, we're only as needy as our unmet needs. A lot of times those with avoidant attachment, they, have been getting their emotional needs met physically because they don't know any other way. They're not verbal, you know, they're not verbal with their emotional needs. Um, And so if that's the case, you know, for them, sex is their connection. And that's not necessarily like a bad, you know, lower level of humanity way of living. Um, We are physical beings as much as we are emotional beings. Um, We might need to do some balancing there, but if the avoidant is getting their emotional tank, Built through sex and they're not getting sex, that could push them over into being, you know, sexually anxious. And now what happens? The anxious partner who might want more verbal connection is not getting their needs met. So they start with retreating saying, well, I'm not going to have sex with you because I'm not getting my needs over here. And now we have this anxious avoidant dynamic created. It, I would say it's more of a pursue withdraw dynamic created around sex. So that's one way it can show up. Um, of course, you know, it sounds like in your situation, it was a little bit different. You were both the anxious partner in the other parts of the relationship and the anxious partner in the sexual relationship. That is an extraordinarily difficult dynamic um, because now we have an anxious partner who's just never getting their needs met, you know, all over. And that creates a lot of, you know, really difficult power imbalances. Um, I think it's more common for it to be the opposite because people with an avoidant attachment are so disconnected from their emotions and the verbal expression of them that they do, they have learned to be, you know, to associate um, emotional connection more physically. So they have more of a tendency to be that sexual pursuer. So it really, you know, the, the answer is, yeah, I have this all in the book too, in a sex chapter, but you know, the answer again, it's got, you know, sort of layers to it, but once you can, kind of get down there and figure out, okay, there's a negative cycle here around sex. How are we going to manage this negative cycle? You know, we have this negative cycle around finances or, you know, who's going to do the more, you know, household chores. And now we have this negative cycle around sex. So the first thing is we've got to start talking about this problem outside of negative cycles. Instead of you never do this, you always do that. You don't listen to my needs. It's, you know, here's what I'm noticing. 
I'm going to validate where you're coming from. I really get it. At the same time, I'm having these needs over here and it's kind of leaving these sexual experiences, leaving, you know, that sounds kind of nerdy. It's kind of leaving our sex life, you know, me feeling like kind of alone. And that, that affects me, you know, when I feel alone and, and there's not a lot of connection there, then that makes me kind of kind of, my body just kind of shuts off. And how can we kind of work together here? Kind of, you know, just approaching it in this like collaborative teamwork instead of you're not doing this right. You're the bad guy. You never, you always, it's, you know, which are the classic negative cycle phrasings. It's, it's so important, I think, for education on this, because, you know, we, we live in a society where porn and listen, there's not, you watch porn, that's no, no judgment. But I think that men are learning about sex through porn. Um, they're not talking about sex. They're not being educated on sex and women too. And I think that there's this like stigma on, having conversations surrounding needs when it comes to sexual function. And I, I was, I was literally blown away by the amount, the, um, the stats on the amount of women who have never achieved orgasm or who are not feeling fulfilled with their sex life. I, I mean, it just blew my mind, but I guess it makes sense that, you know, there's just not a lot of education that's being talked about. And there's a lot of stigma when it comes to, sex and masturbation and women's pleasure. Oh my gosh, the stigma and women's pleasure. I think we're finally coming around. So I do agree. I think that communication, let me tell you, if I, if I met a man that communicated to me like that, that's going to be the one that I marry. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I think it's so important. Well, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with the book. And I have a whole yes. chapter of scripts. So I'm doing everything yes. I can to get these words out there. Well, speaking of scripts in your book, Secure Love, you say, instead of that, say this, what are some of these approaches to difficult situations or some examples that would be really important for people to know? Well, um, it, gosh, you know, if you're, I wrote the book, right? But I don't know how well I can pull up the specific examples. Well, if you can um, think of something yeah. that, like in, in a situation where, you know, maybe there's two couples who, let's let's talk about sex life since we're on the, the sex okay. side of it. So let's say I'm the anxious sure. and my partner is avoidant. I'm wanting closer intimacy, but I don't know how to express that to my avoidant partner what is maybe a good way to express my needs without sounding too needy to push my partner away? Okay. Um, okay. So I would, I would approach it with, first of all, really kind of trying to ground yourself before you go into the conversation to begin with, right? We want to get ourselves out of that kind of fear place in our mind, because when we're in the fear place and we approach a conversation, it's going to come out the anxiety, the fear, it's either going to come out as energy or it's going to come out, you know, a more avoidant way of dealing with that would be kind of flat or not bringing it up to begin with. So we really need to learn how to kind of ground ourselves, step in and go, all right, what's happening with me right now? What am I needing to express? What are the kind of the fears I'm having about how this might go? And what can I do here to kind of, you know, validate the reason I feel kind of triggered already going into this and make a commitment to myself to bring this up in a new way? then we need to know how to bring it up. What are the words here, right? Uh, having the words can can actually be very regulating because you, you know, you might not know, you know what is it doesn't work, but we need to know what will work. So I would say lead with kind of stepping into their world in your mind and kind of trying to understand where where might they be, right? What might be going on with their their resistance to sex or what the issue is with them, 
right? There, there's a really good reason that they're withdrawing or not meeting your needs. We don't necessarily want that, you know, we're not advocating what they do with that reason, right? I'm not advocating pulling away from sex. Couples need to have healthy sex lives. But understanding the very good reason and just letting your partner know, listen, something really important is happening with happening with you too. I, I don't really believe that you're over there going, I'm going to withhold sex from you and, you know, make you miserable. And I really don't believe that. I think there are some good reasons here. And I want to try to understand more about what's going on with us. Right. And, and I want to understand more and not just kind of come at you like, Oh, you're bad. You're this, you're terrible. You're shut off. You're a terrible partner. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I do have these needs. They're very important to me. I want to feel close to you. Right. If I, if we're not, this part of our relationship isn't healthy and happy, it is very difficult to feel close and that's going to show up in other parts. And, Here's what really I'm needing. First of all, I just really need for us to start having a little more communication around this issue. You're not going to solve it all right then, then and there in one conversation. The goal is to start bringing it up with a little more safety and letting that safety kind of filter out, letting it sit, letting that other partner that you brought the concern up to kind of step away from that, let the information simmer. They're going to be more open to it if it hasn't been coming at them with daggers. And then bringing it up again. And, you know, sometimes we need to get increasing our boundaries need to kind of get increasingly firm, right? So that's sort of putting the message out there. This is a problem. I understand you have really good reasons. Here's what I'm needing. I want to open this up and let us, you know, talk about it a little more. If that's not working and you've brought it up a thousand times and like still you know, nothing's shifting and you're not able to have these conversations, you know, and I talk about this in the book, you might need to be like, Hey, this is a real problem. I've brought it up several times. I'm over here feeling really disconnected and alone. I need a sexual relationship for you to feel good and close in the world. Um, that's so important to me. Maybe we need to get some help here, you know? And so it's, and then, you know, if it's a deal breaker, right? The end, the, the end of that line might end up having to be, look, I can't be in a relationship where we don't have happy sex, where we don't get to have that, you know, closeness, that, that part of life is really, really, really special and sacred and important to me. And I don't think I can stay in the relationship if we can't figure this out together. So you're not, you're not being a doormat. You're just kind of leading into it. You have to recognize this is a hot topic. We don't know how to talk about it yet. We can't just go all in. We're not going to get anywhere in one day. We've got to just start opening it up with more safety. And that's really how it needs to be with all the conversations that are hard. And that other partner needs to be doing the same thing on their end. They need to be learning how to initiate, you know, conversations instead of just like not having the conversation, not going there, not bringing up their needs. And instead of, you know, actively protesting their needs, not being met, just kind of distancing from the relationship, going and co seeking comfort elsewhere. You know, they have responsibility too, equal. I love that. Yeah. Not protesting your needs. That's a big one, you guys, because that protest behavior of, well, my partner's not going to meet my needs. I'm going to protest in other ways. I'm going to post this sexy pic. I'm not going to give them sex or whatever it is. It's not exactly meeting your needs, you know, and I think I love what you said about that. It's that's a really a great example of how to become more securely attached and how to practice that behavior, how to model that behavior for your partner, especially if you want to be the the change that you want your relationship to have. Um, 
Julie, what inspired you to write Secure Love and what do you hope readers will take away from it? Um, You know, I do really amazing work with the couples I work with, and I'm kind of obsessed with being very, very good at that. Um, To me, it's just the most fulfilling thing ever, you know, other than the personal version of being a couples therapist is really being able to be there for my family in a way that's very emotional, supportive. So there's just something that's so fulfilling to me about providing emotional support and helping other people give it to each other. Um, so I just want to like, you know, I know there there are so many people out there who can't just don't have access to, to good therapy or don't have access to any therapy or can't afford it or, or just lots of really good reasons. People have access to, you know, um, or don't have access to this, this work that I'm doing that I'm just seeing be so, so successful. And the colleagues I have that do this type of work have been so successful. So my, my goal was let's put this, you know, out on Instagram. Let me start putting this out there in the best way I possibly can without actually being able to work with couples. And that really took off. And then I started getting requests for a book and I was like, you know, I'm just going to start with how I start with a couple and finish with how I finish with a couple. And I really get it. Like there are couples out there that are going to need a lot more than a book, any book could ever offer them, but I'm going to do my best here. And, and I know I'm going to be able to maybe not fix every couple, definitely not, but at least help them grow, at least help them maybe grow to the point where they can get help because they trust the information. And uh, yeah, so it's just, it's really, you know, that's a lot of words for to help as many people as I can, since I can't work with everybody in my office. Um, Julie, thank you. Thank you for the work that you you do. And, you know, not just for couples, but for, you know, single gals like me who are trying to become more securely attached. I think that it's a a much needed topic, especially even for me as a therapist who didn't learn this in school, they didn't talk about this. And so it's been really helpful, even with my own practice and my own clients. And um, just thank you for the work that you're continuing to do. I can't wait for everybody to read the book. We'll definitely link it for everyone. And thank you for coming on the show. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me.